On this week's episode, Alan and I will recognize the winners of the Next Generation Spotlight Series before taking a deep dive into this year's Coonhound World Championship. Later, we will discuss the highly debated tree and but not declare tree rule. Get your pen and paper and stay tuned. You will not want to miss this one. You're listening to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast, celebrating hunting dog heritage, competition, and community. United Kennel Club has been the hunting dog sports home for coonhounds, beagles, retrievers, pointers, cur feist, and more for over 125 years. This podcast is fueled by Yukonuba, the official performance dog nutrition partner of UKC. Hey, Alan, did you get in, into anything fun this weekend or what? Yeah, actually, I did. I uh, I didn't coon hunt, but I uh, got old Henry, broke him out of the kennel. He's been sitting in the kennel. All my beagles have. So I feel bad. Every night I go out there and feed him, I think, gosh, I haven't turned them loose since spring. Yeah. So I did get a chance to get old Henry out. I actually went hunting with uh, uh, Willis Yoder lives in my part of the country there, and he has the, his world champion beauty. He yeah. had called me up and asked me if I wanted to go uh, – uh, run the dogs a little bit and i said heck yeah sounds like a good idea northern indiana northern indiana yeah he only lives 10 miles from me so we went and ran the dogs and he ran his beauty dog and another pup off of her so we had a good time there and he's an auctioneer too so the other thing he wanted me to go with him was go to the world livestock auctioneering championship that happened to be at in ship there at the trading place so i'm all about that yeah. you know so that's what we did it was a great time yeah Ended up sneaking into uh, the top 10. We got there a little late, but they were still in the top 10 for the auctioneer stuff. And man, those guys are so awesome. It's ridiculous. Right. I know you sure like that kind of stuff, don't you? Well, I do. Yeah. You know, and as soon as you think you can got a little bit of a chant down, you go listen to some of those guys. Yeah, I go. This is like uh, amateur hour for me. <laughs> but it was perfect weather this weekend to run. Oh, yeah. For was... middle, of Ju- uh, middle of June, you couldn't ask for better than that. Right. It was uh, really good. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, yeah, so uh, on today's episode, we're going to uh, get started out talking a little bit about plot days. Actually, a little bit of breaking news, I guess. Just got off the phone with uh, the president of the Plot Hound Association a little bit ago, Tony Bills, and they have rescheduled the event that got canceled um, back in the middle of June, and they've rescheduled it for uh, August 18th through 20th, and it's going to be in, down in Brazil, Indiana. Uh, so obviously, that's a hub right there off Interstate 70. It's a hub for major events, a lot of event, uh, major events in that area. So, but yeah, just uh, real quick while we had a, a second and a, and a, a people listening, just wanted to give our thoughts and prayers for the folks in in uh, central and northern Ohio for the for all the damages that were inflicted by the tornado and the severe winds. I know you have family living in that part of the country, right? I do. I have a brother that lives right there in town. Only lives about two and a half miles from the club. And I called him and uh, you know talked to him about. It. He said it's as bad as he's ever seen in his life. You know, as far as storms trees uprooted and everything so it, it did get pretty bad yeah i know we both talked the night where we heard that it happened um and when you think of tornado damage i guess i'll oftentimes think about uh, straight line damage not affecting the entire area but it sounds like that the winds were kind of widespread and were the more the source of the issue and that there's people still without power right now which is yeah bad stuff. a week later there's people still without power and like he said it was hard to go down any road uh with so many trees down uh crossroads and everything you know it's just it's a bad deal and when you're making a decision to cancel an event especially of that magnitude on short notice that's a hard thing to do and they were put in a, a rough situation but you got to have a little bit of empathy for the people in that area who were uh, so affected you know 
hunting is the last thing on most people's mind. They're just trying to sur survive that time. It it really is, and you know, it's one thing to kind of you know have your first uh, your first thought or whatever. You know, okay, come on, you know, it's a uh, you got to just uh, you know you deal with things like that, and you know when you're hunting, you know you can't control the weather. But when you really see the magnitude of what really went through there, it puts it really puts it in perspective. They absolutely did the right thing by canceling it. Right. And we're pretty strict in our no cancellation policy. Uh, but we also use our common sense and we know that, it, you know, some of these natural disasters can have a big hindrance on an event and it's just flat dangerous. Yeah, I guess we say cancel here. The The correct terminology would be postponed. postponed. So That's right. it's still going to happen just at a later time this year. That's right. That's right. In well, August, you said, right? That's right. In yeah. August, August eighteenth yeah. through twentieth, again in Brazil, Indiana. So hope to see you guys there. Uh, at work the plot association worked hard. Uh, the folks in Indiana, I've been in in touch with local clubs there that are shifting some things around. So a lot of people are working hard to make this thing happen. And the other thing, they do have an RQE all plot RQE on Thursday night, so that still works, keeping it in August before the deadline of uh, September there for the World Championship. Works, works pretty RQEs. good. It'll be one of the last RQEs of the year. Yeah. Hey, so uh, so last Coonhound episode, we talked a lot about uh, some of our different youth programs, and in it, we talked about the Next Generation Spotlight Series a little bit, and I told you we were pretty close to finalizing that thing, and today, uh, we do have our winners, and so I think here in the in the first portion of this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about our winners. Uh, just real quick, uh, the, the winners here, we're going to they're going we're going to recognize them uh, at Youth Nationals in Medina, Ohio, coming up July twenty second, twenty third, but. Uh, for them in particular, it's going to be that Saturday, July 23rd at 11 a.m. It'll be between our bench show seminar and the bench show when there's uh, the biggest crowd of people there gathered, and we'll, we're going to give these kids the recognition they've earned and they deserve. Um, and just real quick, want to give another shout-out to Bright Eyes for sponsoring uh, the Next Generation Spotlight Series and Youth Nationals, for that matter, and all they do for the youth of our school. Yeah, we sure appreciate Ray for everything he does. And he builds a great light and has great service and uh, he sure does a lot for us and for the youth programs. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so, hey, let's dive right into it. Starting out with uh, our senior division night hunt winner is going to be someone who is uh, a young lady down in Peru, Indiana, that is no stranger to our events, Been uh, has done a lot of winning already at just 17 years old, and that's Katie Wood. Uh, she won the senior division night hunt uh, division with uh, 80 points overall. Um, of her 80 points, uh, she had six cast wins, with some uh, double point wins in, at the Ohio State and the Kentucky State Youth Championships. Um, an impressive young lady. And, you know, she was in the running for the bench show title, too. Uh, oh, she's, yeah. she's kind yeah. of a, one of the dual-purpose handlers that we have in our, in our sport that's coming up right now. And so impressive for her to win that. Uh, and she's got, she's got this one blue tick I know she's won a lot with all across the country yeah. uh, the last couple of years. So she's been, Blackjack, I believe his yeah, name is. yeah was in the top 10. He, he actually was the blue tick breed winner at our first top 10 where we paid money. Uh, she's done a lot of winning with it. Just one of those young, young uh, youth handlers that is just an exceptional handle. Incredible for, it's amazing. Some of these kids and she's one of those, the, right. the handling skills that they already have. Crazy. Right. And I think in most of these hunts, if I'm not mistaken, she's handling dogs for plot dogs for Bill Harrell. Mm -hmm. So she's, she's had some success with some of those dogs that he's running up and down the road and had a lot of success with. But uh, we also have a top five here because I figure uh, we might as well give some shout out to some other some other youth that are uh, participating in these uh, in these night hunts. Uh, uh, second place was Cooper Watley out in Arkansas. Uh, Cooper, he's an impressive young man. I had a chance to talk to him a couple times, and actually just saw him in English Days a couple weeks ago. He was there competing with the grown ups, had a cast win there, got his dog qualified for the world there. 
So I had a little conversation with him and his mom about getting all entered up in that. So hopefully he he makes some waves in the world championship coming up. And then I think we had a few a few of them that may have aged out during the year. Uh, Judd Koshko in Missouri, who was our senior division uh, national champion at Youth Nationals this past year. Uh, Clayton Stanley over in West Virginia, who had 40 points. And then Jennifer Starcher in Ohio, who had 40 points. And I believe they all aged out during it, but they were able to accumulate some points to keep them in the running there at the end. Yeah, that's really some tough competition there. You know, you mentioned Judd Koshko there in Missouri. He's a he's been handling dogs with, uh, you know, for a long time, and he's he's tough. Yeah, he's tough. I, I believe all. I believe it's safe to say that uh, all of these youth are now competing in uh, regular cast just as much as youth cast now, and seeing their names pop up more and more. So they're going to have a big impact on on uh, night hunts in the future. Yeah. Uh, junior division night hunt winner is Colton Rorvik of also of Peru, Indiana. Uh, he's a 10 year old and he was, uh, he won the night hunt division with 40 points. He was, he actually got third place overall in our junior division at youth nationals this past year in Miami, Oklahoma, Miami. I don't want to get in trouble for that. And then also uh, had a cast win at the Indiana state youth championship just here recently that, uh, that, uh, tied over the win for him. So Colton. Yeah. Colton Rorvik. He comes from a family of coon hunters. You know, the the Elburns are his grandparents, uh, Curtis and Kathy Elburn. I know him well. I've known him for a long time. Uh, what's interesting here with uh, he, he actually hunted a treeing walker for the most part. Colton does. But he kind of comes from a family of redbone hunters. His grandpa, Curtis, uh, he hunted redbone and showed a lot of dogs. And same with his mom, Nikki, and, and Andy. Uh, they show a lot of redbones and some leopard hounds as well. But they come from a family of... Uh, coonhound people and they've just kind of passed it on down to all the the grandkids and and they're doing an excellent job it's just uh it's just again how crazy how how crazy good these young guys are and and colton is one of them 10 years old yeah you know and do, just doing a great job you know we have what's interesting we have pictures of curtis and kathy with their two kids in strollers at our events like autumn oaks and now now Andy and Nikki's kids are participating in these events. That's just so cool, you know. And here's Colton. He's one of those. Uh, he's one of those winners. Um, and I'm sure Curtis is pretty proud of his grandson. You know, he had two daughters, and now he's got a grandson that's uh, winning in the hunts. And I'm sure he's a proud grandfather. Absolutely, he is. Got Colton and and the whole group of Elburns. Yeah, they're a good yeah. group of kids, and they they're all competing nationally. They, yeah. At the at youth nationals, they're going to be there this year. I know in Medina, they're going to be competing. Uh, they're going to and they're going. You're going to have to beat them to win the whole thing because there's going to be some tough competition. Yeah, there. and he's pretty proud of that little Walker Jip he's got. He you is. know, he got that dog less than a year ago. I want to say last August, I think it was. I don't yeah. have all the details, but I think it was around so close to a year ago. Yeah, he got this little female, put a lot of the her the wins on her, got her qualified for the TOC. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he did really exceptionally well with her, and he actually just recently finished her to Grand. In May, I think he granted her out. Yeah, actually, I, I saw uh, his mom, Nikki, at uh, the Premier Nationals just here a, a week or two ago and talked to her about uh, about him granting it out, and he was sure proud of that, she said. And he should be. He's yeah. 10 years old, and that, that's pretty impressive. Obviously, yeah. he racked up a lot of wins. And against. he's he's got – that's a good little dog. You know, I don't – I've never hunted with this dog, but I've I've looked into her pedigree a little bit, and she's she's got a loaded pedigree. Right. You know, her bottom side, I don't know a whole lot about her bottom side. It goes back to that uh, Mill Creek Magic Dog of Sam Salyers in, uh, uh, on the bottom side. But the top side is the one I'm most familiar with. Dick Brothers is uh, oh, yeah. is the breeder of this dog. And it's off of Charlie Creek Mike's first litter, his little dog is. And it was kind of interesting because uh, 
uh, he can say she's a half sister to the TOC champion, Big Bad Butch. You yeah. Know? So, <laughs> so yeah, he's got a he's got a nice, good bred little little female in Hannah. You know, and the other thing I'll mention that when I looked back into it, saw she was off of, of Mike. Is Mike is off a dog named Charlie Creek Edge, and I remember the first hunt Edge was ever put in was there at our club, and he 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 was first entered in the show. I remember this because he was an exceptional looking dog that day, and I was judging the show. Mm. And he was my best male of show that day. He goes out and puts him in the hunt, and he comes back with a high score that day. It was actually RQE. That was yeah. his first win there. And that's, you know, so just nice dogs. And then going back to the Clay, uh, Edge was off of Clay, knew him very well, too. Just a tough hound. And then Clay was off of the world champion, Charlie Creek Terra. Yeah. So this little Hannah dog he's hunting, she's... She she's no yeah, yeah she's no accident and good for him he's got a nice little dog there absolutely and he did good with her well I guess that kind of segues us into our junior division bench show champion from Peru Indiana ten year old Colton Rorvik yeah won both go. one night hunt and the bench show impressive for that young guy how incredible is that wins yeah. the hunt and the show division both you know you said so. that, is that the first time you can remember you've been here since the inception that's the first time you remember someone it winning is. both that's yeah. that's the first time right there to win both the hunt and the show so outstanding job and congratulations to Colton you know his again you know he comes from a whole family of of good handlers, great teacher. His older sister, Morgan, has won a whole lot and is also just an incredible handler, uh, as are his mom, you know, and Andy, his aunt Andy. And uh, actually, Andy is judging for us at Autumn Oaks this year. Right. You know, so unfortunately, that kind of puts him and his family out for Autumn Oaks. But yeah, just congratulations to Colton on that. In the hunt, in the junior division there, uh, well, I'll let you cover that. You've got all the yeah, notes here. For I have the, it here. Yeah. yeah, so I'll just say in the show, obviously he had 150 points, so it was a little bit uh, bigger of a cushion than the show. His show was actually, or the the hunt division was actually pretty tight. He won it with 40 points, and there was uh, six six other youth that were tied with 30 points. And I'm just going to run through them because they deserve some recognition as well for yeah. for being competitive yeah. in the race. Uh, we got Tristan Arrington in West Virginia, Brody Bailey in North Carolina, Jason Bigley in Missouri, Josie Bletcher in Nebraska. Caden Finn in Illinois and Libby Lancaster in Nebraska uh, make up the six that tied for second place in the in the junior night hunt division. Six of them tied for second. Yeah, so uh, pretty evenly killed there in that yeah. in that division. But uh, uh, getting back to the night hunt here, Colton he actually, like I said, racked up 150 points, which is pretty impressive. He had uh, category wins at nine different events, including some pretty major events: uh, youth nationals, the Kentucky State Youth. Uh, Tennessee State Youth and Indiana State Youth, um, so he he was competing against uh, some top dogs at those. I'm sure because mm -hmm. those are double points events, and there's a lot of people running. Uh, to talk real quick about the bench show junior division, it was really competitive. Uh, 150 points that Colton had, that's that's pretty impressive. You're thinking, uh, you know, nine nine ten category wins probably. Uh, Jordan Brooks was second from Virginia, 120 points. She's another one of those youth that are just impressive to watch show. She's highly competitive. Eric and Leslie's uh, daughter. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Both of those, Jordan and Jacob, are both uh, very respectful and very good. Uh, they have really good showmanship, and I'm sure that they'll be at uh, Youth Nationals again this year yeah. competing. Um, and then we actually had uh, Libby Lancaster, who I just mentioned in the hunt portion, who uh, tied for second, actually came in third here in the show division. So she's also one of those uh, dual-purpose type handlers. Um, Paisley Warner from West Virginia had a hundred points, and then Eva Lancaster, who is uh, Libby's younger sister, had sixty points. Yeah, from Nebraska. And Nebraska, they're probably they probably don't have as many events readily available to them as 
as some of these people in the Midwest. That's so. a good point, and kudos to uh, both of the, uh, both of those uh, siblings for their outstanding year they had in the series. Absolutely, good yeah. job, everyone. Absolutely, um, and and then to tie it up is probably our most competitive division, which was the senior bench show uh, division. Uh, where Brooklyn Sargent pulled out the win. Uh, she's 14 years old. She's from Sparta, Kentucky, and she racked up 540 Spotlight Series points this year. Wow, that is just crazy. Incredible again. Yeah, so this is my fourth year uh, keeping tabs on this race and, and doing it, and it was uh, the biggest point total by far. Yeah, so you gave us a, pr a printout here of, of all their wins and yeah. everything in the, the detailed summary here that we have printed out here and i counted them up a little bit ago yeah. nine different states this young lady wanted nine different states yeah uh, i also have some more numbers to throw at you here for brooklyn 46 category wins in the year at 28 different events <laughs> uh, and i say we've that we created that's a monster we, here haven't we that's what we keep tab of yeah in some of those events she's have she has three or four category wins and we're not counting a couple of those because the cap is two per event yeah so she is she's hauling multiple dogs by the at cap her. explain that cap well yeah so so we've put a cap on these youth events where only two category wins count towards the standings yeah uh, so it, it basically it's just to keep one kid from loading up on dogs and, and just racking up a ton of points at one event. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about that in the last episode, but it was implemented, uh, just to make a, a more fair standings. And, mm -hmm. and I think it did its job here. Uh, but man, let me just list off some of the major events that she, that she was able to accumulate points at this year, Michigan state youth championship, Ohio state, the BBCHA fall roundup, Tennessee state, the Grand American Youth Show, uh, their Ohio State Young Guns Benefit or uh, a Banquet Show, the Indiana State Youth Championship, uh, the Plot Association Youth Championship, the Alabama State Youth Championship. That's pretty incredible because you know she's going against top end dogs there too. And, and what state did you say she was from? Uh, Kentucky. Kentucky. Okay. Yeah. I, I know that she. If we were to talk to her right now, she would give a lot of props to Angie Cable because I believe I saw her and Brooklyn at uh, all over the country this year. They travel just as much as I do, if not more, it yeah, looks like. It looks like. So, looks like. Uh, but, but we would be remiss not to, uh, not to mention uh, uh, Hannah Cable in this category as well because they actually tied. Oh, wow. Two youth with 540 points each, and we had to go down to our first tiebreaker, which was most category wins, where uh, Brooklyn edged out Hannah just a little bit. But uh, So uh, give, give Hannah of Ohio some some kudos for, for her running on this. She won the Spotlight Series last year, and this year just barely barely edged out just due to a, to a tiebreaker. 14 years old and still has three years in this series. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I, I just uh, looking at this top five standings here for the Bench Show Senior Division and the Spotlight Series standings, uh, Brooklyn Sargent, Hannah Cable, Katie Wood, who won the Night Hunt Senior Division, Hunter Shiflett of Virginia, 170 points. Abby Weber of uh, of Ohio with 150 points. These five right here, they're showing all over the country, but they're not just showing in these youth events. They're they're showing and they're competing and they're winning uh, all and, events. Out and there. they're very capable handlers. <laughs> yes. This, uh, these five here are going to leave their mark on uh, on shows uh, for years to come. I promise you that. Yeah, it's quite impressive what this series has done for some of these young younger handlers like this. It's just really got them more involved, and and the experience they're getting and the the effort they're putting into it is just incredible and mm -hmm. great to see. Congratulations to all these winners. Absolutely, every one of them, all of them. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by the all-new Dogtra Pathfinder 2. Dogtra, the official GPS collar partner of UKC.
yeah, I guess it's time to shift a little bit to the Coonhound World Championship. Uh, already there, already uh, gearing up and getting ready. I know we've had some meetings already about it, and uh, and folks, uh, opportunities to get qualified are kind of coming to an end here. Uh, we're we're getting close to the end of or getting close to the last few months here, and and just for anybody who's listening who who doesn't know how to participate in our World Championship, it's pretty easy. We have uh, regional qualifying events all over the country from January to the end of August, and uh, to get qualified for the World Championship, all you have to do is take your dog out there and compete and get a either be a plus point cast winner in the hunt or a category one of the six category winners in the show to to get qualified, and then we'll send you send you some goodies to get you entered up. Uh, but today, I figure is a good time to talk about some of our uh, fi- our finals location and some of our zone locations. Yeah. Um, starting out with the finals location, we're going to West Tennessee. First time we've ever been to West Tennessee in Dyersburg, Tennessee, at the Dyer County Fairgrounds. There. Been to Tennessee a couple other times before. Only a couple times. His first World Championship was in 1978. So this will be number three since then for us being in Tennessee. But yeah. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. We stopped there, uh, what, two years ago already. It was the first time we went down there. You and I went down there and looked at the looked at the area, talked it, to a couple of the guys around the area. It was on the way to Winter Classic in 2020. There you go. Uh, we swung by Dyersburg. It wasn't very far off our way on the way down there. And we stopped in and saw the venue and everything around. And As flat as this table. It is. <laughs> it is. And talking to some of the local guys there, like uh, some of the presidents of that club, like Chad Smith and Corey Jeffries, uh, that, a lot of times that area can be water yeah. water is a big a big deal there close just to the mississippi right off the river mississippi right there very close and but uh you know after a summer and getting into september is about the the prime time they tell me whenever the the water's kind of uh dried up and they have them big river uh river bottoms to hunt and mm-hmm. it's just prime coon hunting territory i think people you know when people when you say you're hunting in tennessee people think mountains and that's not the case it's in west tennessee it's as flat as a pancake totally the, the opposite, opposite of that you won't see any you won't hardly see a uh, anything even slightly rolling there. That's right. Flat. And it's a prime location for travelers, too. It's right off I-55. You will not miss it there at the Dyersburg exit. You can actually see the fairgrounds from the highway. Can't you'll you? pass right by it. You'll see the back of the buildings right there, just about 100 yards off of the interstate. So it's it's very handy there. And it's a it's a, it's a a happening city. You know, there's plenty of venues there. There's uh, restaurants and hotels, plenty, and uh, a lot of things to do there. And it's a, it's a farming community. It is? Yeah. Yeah. So. Absolutely, and there's a, some great hunting there. I can't can't say that enough. So, uh, so uh, and the World Finals this year is going to be September 22nd through 24th. Obviously, the the uh, zones are the weekend before that. So uh, we can yeah. Always the the easiest way for me to remember what happens there is Autumn Oaks is always on Labor Day weekend, yep. and then we have a weekend in between, and then we have the zones, and then after the weekend after that is the finals. That's right. So you have Autumn Oaks. Nothing, and then the zones and the finals. Makes for a fun September. Yeah, it makes yeah. for a busy September. Yeah. You blink your I eyes and it's I don't know whose idea it was to put Autumn Oaks <laughs> and the World Championship that close together because you and I both know that is, those are two major events that we have to, before we even go into Autumn Oaks, we have to be done uh, with the administration end of the World Championship. Yeah. If you don't, I learned that pretty quickly. Yeah. If you don't, you're going to be behind the eight ball. Yeah, that's After right. Autumn Oaks. That's right. And you mentioned they're, they're, the World Finals have been in Tennessee three other times besides this one. Uh, 91 in Murfreesboro, uh, 2006 in Springfield, and 2009 in Rogersville. Um, and I, I thought it might be uh, kind of fun for the listeners to talk a little bit about those World Championships. Obviously, you weren't here in 91 when it was in Murfreesboro, back when Nelson's Radar won that event. Yeah, But I know you were just pretty new here at, at working at UKC when the 2006 World Finals rolled around in Springfield. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah, you know, uh, 91, that is kind of the time period when I first started uh, competition hunting. Actually, my first night hunt was in 89. So uh, Eddie Parker won the world hunt with Nelson's Radar. So Eddie Parker was a name I always kind of recognized, but he's the one that uh, handled uh, radar there in 91 in North Mur or, uh, Murfreesboro. Yeah. But yeah, in 06 in Springfield, that was my second world hunt here at UKC. So we were at a, an armory just outside of town is the, is the, what is, was the venue there. Uh, but Springfield is, is very rolling. It's not as hilly as, you know, some places in Tennessee or whatever, but it's very rolling. And we had some excellent hunts there that weekend. Yeah. So uh, you say it was your second year. Did you have a part in putting it there in Springfield? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I did. I got everything set up. That was the one of the, well, it was, would have been my second one that I uh, yeah. organized to get set up. And and I learned a little bit of a lesson there that I've always taken with me, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But uh, yeah. I, I guess just in short, you always want to make sure you have all your I's dotted and your T's crossed when it comes to agreements and things like that. It just saves you a whole lot. And I, I learned that here. It wasn't a big deal, but uh, uh, kind of advertised some things before we had all our I's dotted, and I yeah. remember that. But those are how you, uh, you know, those are the experiences you learn from. And, and yeah. uh, but anyways, yeah, a lot of good things from Springfield. Uh, Terry uh, Johnson was my go-to guy there at the club, yep. and they just did an excellent job with it. And uh, I got to know Terry, you know, right from the first year I started working here, and he was great to work with. And, uh, yeah, we had some good hunts there. And the one thing that I do remember about that is we had four females in the final cast. Yep. We had the, the quick dog out of uh, Iowa, the Felderman's quick dog, yeah. uh, who obviously ended up winning it. Uh, Todd Felderman or Feldman or Felderman handled the dog, and then uh, his dad Dennis. They were there, and they're great people. Right. I got that's the first time I ever met them was there at the hunt, and uh, they had history or Split Creek History Quick was her name. Yep. Was she was actually a single registered dog, but uh, after that I got up uh, got up to Iowa. Uh, time or one time on my through my travels stopped there and hunted with them a night or two but they're just uh, some great guys but uh, the other thing was uh, the other another female was insane jane just won it the year prior she just won the world hunt in 2005 the year prior then she had changed ownerships yeah. uh, jess dickerson and uh, mr myers had bought uh, jane after the 2005 world hunt they got her back in there at springfield again had her in the final cast and uh and just uh, reading I thought, the play by plays, yeah, there was a coon tree in contest, yeah, right? It was absolutely was, yeah, and right, right out of the gate. And those two females were uh, quick, and and Jane, they were neck and neck there to begin with. Uh, another sailor, uh, another female was a blue tick, sailing Sadie, uh, Mark Vandeventer, who we all yeah. know, a blue tick guy here in Illinois, and uh, and then a redbone female out of Arkansas named Jackpot Jackie. She kind of made a name for herself in those years, too, and it was handled by uh, Mike Wright there. But, yeah, so four females in the final cast. And you don't see that very often. I'd, I'd have to go back and, and look, but uh, I don't know. If, I would think that may have happened before four females, but I guarantee it didn't happen very many times if it did. So right. that was kind of unique to that world hunt. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then fast forward just a or did you have any more thoughts on that? Well, yeah, you know, that yeah. was, that was an awesome, I was out on the hunt on that. Yeah. It was just an, I, it was an awesome hunt. I remember a lot about it and, uh, it was really, really neck and neck for the whole hunt between quick and Jane. And in the end, quick prevailed and went on to win the world championship. But, uh, I just remember, uh, Mr. Myers was handling, was handling Jane. And, uh, as, as soon as that hunt was, was, as soon as it was over, I just, uh, always, uh, 
remembered how Mr. Myers was the first one over there to shake his hand. Yeah. Just great sportsmanship, you know, from that guy. He's just a just such an outstanding guy too. But yeah, that was uh that was my second world hunt. And Springfield, a, I've never hunted there very much. What, what kind of terrain was? You said it was a little bit rolling hills, but it was it any f- agriculture around? Oh or yeah, big a lot timber of or? a lot of agriculture and a lot of timber, both. Yeah. You know, but uh, but a lot of uh, it was just rolling. It wasn't we didn't have a lot of steep hills or anything yeah. like that. But I remember the dogs really moved around a lot that night. Yeah, and uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> two walker females and a blue tick and a and a red bone. I, I have been to this next place personally, Rogersville, Tennessee, and I know that there's uh, more than rolling hills there in that area. That is that is more than rolling, yeah. Yes. I still have one of my buddies that I went to the NASCAR race with last summer, and he brought that up, Terry Coulter. Said, yeah. Man, I hope you're never going back there again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's we, a great club. Yeah. That's an yeah, awesome it club. It is, absolutely. And you know, they were one of the top clubs at that time in the and state. And still of, are. Yeah, yeah. Still are. Yep. Uh, Ron Stroud was he was he in uh, power? Was he still the president back then? He was. Ron was. And you know what they do there is so different. I when I first went there to check it out, I was I was amazed by how hard they work. Yep. To have raccoons there to score. Absolutely. You know they they do a lot of conservation work, and it's uh, it's why they had all these entries at their clubs, and were they they've just been a top club uh, for a long time. You know, forget the you know. For somebody who comes from the flat country in yep. Indiana to go there, it almost seems like, wow, you know, this is crazy. But, uh, man, they get the entries out there. And we've had the zones there several times. But the uh, facility we, we selected there was uh, like a music park. And it was, man, it was so nice. It had, you know, uh, had all the uh, little spaces where you can park your RV into, plug-ins and everything. It was really neat the way it was set up. Some local guy owned it there. It was a privately owned deal. And it had a big open pavilion, a huge open pavilion set up high up on the hill. And I just remember being up there on the first day of set up there, it had a big stage on the one end. But just the air flowing through that whole building, I, man, it was so nice. Yeah. Loved it. I don't remember the guy's name that owned it. He was a little a little guy, an older guy. I'd say he was probably in his early 70s at the time. He was walking around there all smiles that, yeah. you know, those first couple days. But uh yeah, but there's several things from that hunt that I remember uh, a lot. One was uh, uh, on Saturday. So uh, every, you got to remember, everything's kind of, it's an open pavilion building, but a monsoon came on Saturday. I, I don't remember. We had the bench show there, and I don't remember if it was before or after or during the bench show. For some reason, I want to say it was, it started before the bench show, but it rained crazy. But anyways, after the show that night, uh, we're kind of wrapping things up, getting some whatever we're doing there. And somebody yells at me, says, hey, there's a car on fire out here. And look out there, they're smoking, and it's coming from our UKC RV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we had this. Uh, you put we had that word sprinter. driving we had it up the, and down the mountains? or yeah, what? Well, we had, we had this uh, silver-looking sprinter RV yeah. that we used, and we drove out there. And uh, I ran out there and ran inside, and what, ha- what had happened is I had been out there and made me a sandwich in the microwave. The microwave oh, sits wow. right underneath the, the kitchen or underneath the sink. And this thing was fairly new still. We never used the microwave before. No, yeah, it made me a sandwich and had never used it. But anyways, as it turned out, I had, when I was making my sandwich, I bumped against the, the, the starter or the numbers or, you know, the timer of the microwave uh-huh. and somehow hit the start button with my knee, unbeknownst to me, 
and the styrofoam was still inside the microwave. Ooh. We never used it. Yeah. This thing heated up. And <laughs> we had a fire going in there. <laughs> oh, man, I felt terrible. Uh, that's yeah, one way to break it in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other thing I remember about that, up on the stage, they had these big rocking chairs. It was just a relaxing place to sit up there and just the way it was positioned, this building was positioned on top of the hill and everything, yeah. the breeze just blowing through there a little bit, you know, and, and that's still warm, but it felt good. And it was, it you, was, you did your final cast interviews up there, right? Did. Yeah. You still have yeah. pictures in the magazine yeah, yeah, that we yeah, looked at. Yeah. 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 That makes for an awesome backdrop. Yeah. Just to go back to one thing you said that stands out to me growing up in East Tennessee and my dad telling stories about hunting back in those times and how scarce the the coons were in that area and the the local coon clubs actually importing them in from different parts of the country just trying to make them stick mm -hmm. and and now fast forward and now to you know 30 40 years later after those guys put all that effort into it paying for those coons to come into the area and, yeah. and how they've kind of taken a hold there and now yeah. you can actually tree some game there man yeah and uh, you know on another it was kind of a serious ordeal that happened there that i do remember and i should have looked it up and i so apologize i don't remember his, the 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 feller's name exactly his last name or whatever so i'll just uh but it was somebody that came and helped us judge on thursday night and at that time you know we still hunted the late round on thursday yep. this young man at the time he hunted on or he worked that day that thursday he worked he comes judges for us early and late all night he's up yeah he drives home after that and he gets in a wreck mm. and i mean busted him up pretty pretty good yeah and put him in the hospital and man that was tough on me yeah you know somebody it just really put it into perspective somebody came out to help us put on a hunt did a you know worked all night worked all day and then came come to help us basically voluntary obviously we paid him some but not you know for not what they would have made at a uh, at a job, but anyways, you know, he ends up in the hospital with uh, with his uh, spine bad in bad shape. Yeah, I ended up going out on Friday. I went to the hospital and went out and met up with him. But man, that always stuck with me. Yeah. I, that uh, you know, I think anybody who's hunted any amount knows how dangerous it can be. Some nights when you're hunt when you work all day, hunt yeah. all night, and how yeah. dangerous it is getting behind the wheel sometimes. And yeah, it man, is. unfortunately, stuff like that does happen. Yeah, it, it, it kind of played on me for a while, you know, it was just, uh, you know, somebody helping us like that, and, and then this happened. I felt so terrible for him, of course, and his family, but the good thing is he he, uh, he pulled through it, and everything's fine. Absolutely. That's great to hear. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of shifting gears a little bit, back to that 2009 uh, finals, that was a year Big D one. That's a dog that's kind of made a real big name for itself, not only winning major events, but in the in the breeding pen and and some of the lines of dogs that are uh, relevant today are out of big d yeah that's right you know he's a big old white dog the first thing you notice if you ever saw the dog he was a monster of a dog i'd say monster he probably weighed a good 80 85 pounds probably maybe something like that just big white uh white dog um but yeah he was he had already won uh quite a bit you know you know something like walker days i want to say he won walker days earlier that year and was kind of making a name for himself and uh, yeah, he kind of rolled through, but uh, yeah, there was him, a dog out of North Carolina named Rolling Rock, O.E. Chubbs. Uh, he's since passed, but I remember I got to know Chubbs, uh, uh, or uh, what was his name? Not Chubb, or uh, uh, Chubb Spades, I think. Yeah, Chubb Spades. And he was, uh, he owned that dog, but there was a boy uh, out of Ohio that was actually handling the dog. 
And this dog was, he had, he was kind of made a name for himself coming up from Thursday, Friday in the hunts on, you know, a lot of people were looking at him, you know, and he was, he was a tough on and he showed it that night as well. And then, uh, then, uh, that was Brent Goss out of Ohio that handled him. And then there was one from, uh, somewhere in Tennessee, yeah. Robert Shelton had a, had, had his hammer dog. And I believe he was from your area somewhere. He's from Loudon, Tennessee, just a, just a little up the road from me. I've hunted with, uh, Robert a, a few times coming up and, just a great guy and he always is packing a nice dog and i've heard of, of hammer a lot never had the opportunity to hunt with him but yeah and he he looked good that night too then there was a walker female out of new york uh uh what was uh kara was her name clear creek kara todd hill out of new york so yeah. that was a uh, yeah so uh yeah randy stedman was judging the cast that night i remember and uh one other thing i remember is they treed several coon i want to say four three or four yeah. in that cast yeah uh, but one thing I remember is uh, we were standing there and somebody says they smell uh, cucumbers. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't mean anything to me. What do you, <laughs> what do you mean? What, what's that about? Oh, that's, uh, what is it? Uh, copperheads. Copperheads. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> nah, this is not where I want to be, yeah. but yeah. You want to be uncomfortable, be yeah. a few a few ridges over from the truck hunting by yeah. yourself and smell some cucumbers in the middle of the woods yeah oh, that'll make you a little uncomfortable. oh yeah but what <laughs> you know and, and we got into some hilly stuff but it wasn't that bad that night but uh, that's one thing i remember and the other other part of it that i do rock and d ended up kind of seesawing back and forth a little bit there at the end and i remember rock was the last dog last tree we scored and if he had if we found his coon he was going to win the world hunt there but uh Ended up being a circle tree, and and Big D ended up winning winning the hunt. It's one of those breaks they talk about, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And you know, now since then, Big D's went on to make a big name for himself, and really has done a lot of reproducing. And now you see see a whole lot of his uh, grandsons and granddaughters yeah. that are really you know still out there and 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 doing a lot of winning today. That's right. You know, goes goes back to Big D, but and that's where some of these white dogs today go. Yeah. You know probably carries from that gene that he had. I looked at uh, uh, the number of uh, pups. He had 286, 55 of those are titled. It's pretty good percentage. It is pretty good. Absolutely. Yep, yep sure is. Yeah, he, went, he was a nice hound. Yeah. Uh, one one final thought about the finals being in Tennessee because, you know, you see some stuff about keeping it in, where in high coon populations. I went through uh, the 06 and 09 magazines uh, just to look at the amount of dead casts. 58 of the 64 cast scored on Coons um, or had a plus point cast winner. The other ones may have, obviously I don't have the scorecards. I may have scored on Coons, but just didn't have a winner. But uh, that just shows you coon dogs are going to treat raccoons wherever they are. Yeah, and they're yeah. going to get some good. Yeah, you, you get some of the best dogs in the country there, they're going to treat raccoons. Yeah, and we're going to be working with Chad Smith and several of the other guys there. And they're I'm very confident they're going to do a, a good job. They're taking it very seriously and they're going to put in the effort. Uh, Joe Lewis is from down there in that area, yeah. older guy. But he, I just talked to him on the phone the other day, and and he mentioned it again. He says they're they're going to be ready for it. And he's wanting to guide that final cast. He says it, he has a honey hole. It, <laughs> That's what he says. Yeah, we'll so, see what they come up yeah. with. But there'll be some coon some coon scored that week. Yeah. Uh, so let's uh let's get into our zone locations a little bit. Good. Um, so like we said, uh, zones will be the. September 16th and 17th. These are pre-entry, so you qualify for the world, you're going to have to get your entry in. Uh, zone 1 this year is going to be in Brooklyn, Wisconsin. Yeah, you, you know, you you printed off this uh, yeah. form here again with all the locations, yep. the, uh, the map and everything. Man, geographically, you look at that, that is that is set very well. Nobody I should have it. more than a three, four-hour drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is good with yep. only seven of them being out there. 
But uh, Brooklyn, Wisconsin, uh, Pecatonica River Valley Coonhunters is hosting that over at the Brooklyn Sportsman's Club. Um, I don't know a ton about that area, but I do know they hosted a zone back in 2019 and had had some good scores come out of there. Um, uh, zone two is going to be in Mercer, Pennsylvania. That's kind of a new place. Obviously, we've had zone. I looked back in the back at some of our records since 2000. Uh, Pennsylvania has hosted ten different zones, but this is the first time that uh, the Mercer that's uh, been in Mercer up in the northwest uh, Pennsylvania area. Uh, there at the Mercer County Fairgrounds. Uh, that's an area that you kind of thought would be a good place for this. Have you been in that area before? Or I have close around the area. We've had our youth nationals up there in, uh, gosh, I forget the name of the town now, Flat Rock or right around Flat Slippery Rocks. Okay. Close to Slippery Rock. So it's not that far from there, but it's a, it's a good area uh, where we've had some uh, good, strong club support here, you know, for a long time. And so, that's a big yeah. deal to us. Yeah. You know, we want to, for these zones, we want to uh, get clubs that are yeah, have strong absolutely. club support and able yeah. to put dogs in yeah. the woods. Uh, mm -hmm. Zone three is one, uh, Portland, Indiana, that's hosted a, a ton of major events over the years. That's Limberlaw Schoonhunters Club, and they're going to have it there at the Lions Club Civic Center in town. And they'll do a great job. That's the same club that is one of our, our, our Automoke Satellite Clubs that's, right. that's going to run that. Uh, Matt Lingo and those, they'll do a great job with that. That's right. They had, they've held the World Hunt. They've held zones there. They've held breed, breed day events, and absolutely, they'll do a good job with that. That'll be a good place. Absolutely. And uh, let's see, Zone 4, Palmyra, Missouri, another <laughs> another place that has hosted zones and world finals before there at the Marion County Fairgrounds. Uh, Marion County Coon Hunters are hosting that event at the Palmyra Fairgrounds, actually, up in northeast Missouri. Yeah, that's a, that's a fairgrounds I'm fairly familiar with back from before I worked here at UKC. I went out there to a couple zones out there and just a... Both times, oh, there's two twice I went out there, and then they had the finals there. Yep. Uh, but the zones are the ones I went out to, and we always camped out there at those fairgrounds. And I was, at that time, I was hunting a walker dog uh, for somebody else. And I went out there with the, the owner and his boy. His boy was a little bit younger than me, but uh, the old man would be sleeping. We'd be up early in the morning, you know, and we wanted to do something. You know, there's a tennis court right across, right on the backside of the fairgrounds there. So we went up to Walmart, he and I, Jason Peters is who it was. And hello, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> he knows what I'm about to say. Oh, boy. <laughs> so we're both green at playing tennis, but we needed something, you know. Yeah. So we go up there, buy us uh, some tennis rackets at Walmart, some balls or whatever, and go over there, and we, we're whacking some balls around. And this lady shows up, just a, kind of a small little lady in this little short skirt or whatever, older lady. I'm yeah. saying I'm not going to say she's probably... To me, she looked like she was, you know, close to 60, maybe upper 50s or whatever. And she's saying her partner isn't showing up, you know, but she asked if she could play with us. We're like, sure, you know, what's this little lady? <laughs> Let me tell you, she smoked us. <laughs> we played with her that first year, and and, yeah. and then she started, she kind of gave us, it turns out she was a high school tennis coach. Yeah, oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Jason so, held the, the duo back, right? Was oh, he the man, yeah, he would. Yeah, he wouldn't even play after a little bit. But I did, you know. And the next year, we took our rackets back out there again. It was there two years in a row, yeah. and she shows up again. She remembered our names and everything. We played a little bit again, but yeah. I think I want to say that may be the only time I've ever played tennis. But that was there. Hey, one interesting thing that you said there before the story was, uh, you had to go over to Palmyra, Missouri, for the zones. Uh, living in Northern Indiana. Uh, probably didn't make a, a lot of sense for you wise, but you, uh, that was back whenever you were designated a zone. Is that right? That is, that is, you know, the, the zone you went to 
was based on the address of the dog where the dog was registered. Right. So we were in like zone two. Yeah. Zone two was in Palmyra that year, uh, just an example of it. And yeah. so we had to go there. And then you said there was probably one in like um, Michigan or something that you yeah, had to Yeah, well, it wasn't was like that a, one. It was, I want to say it was the year before I came to work here. So that would have been 2003. Zone two again, our uh, zones were in Marshalltown, Iowa. Yeah. Zone two was. Zone one was in Bellevue, Michigan. Oh, wow. I live right on the Indiana-Michigan line and, you know, driving an hour or less, a little bit less than an hour versus, you know, eight, nine hours out to Iowa. I just thought, wow. And that but, was one of your first changes when you got here, right? It was the very first change I made as far as a significant change, you know, yeah. changed it to uh, to uh, prorate it and uh, uh, based on the, you know, all the numbers and then uh, basically what we have today. Yeah. And you choose where you go. And I think that's what very yeah. much appreciated. You know, before that, they had five zones, and they took 20 dogs out of each zones to make 100 dogs to go to the finals. A great idea. Yeah. Good idea. I just, but I, I really feel like the hunters like this change better sure. than that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, zone five, Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, that's up uh, close to the Virginia line and up in northern North Carolina. Uh, obviously, North Carolina is a state that's hosted a lot of zones in the past uh, 20 years or so. Pilot Mountains even hosted a couple themselves, so yeah, mm -hmm. they'll do well with that one. Uh, Zone Six is a club uh, down in Clarksville, Georgia, the Habersham Club. Uh, that's a club that this is their first time hosting a zone, and I think they're pretty fired up to be able to host it. Some some good guys there, the Kastners and some of the others in that area that are they are close to the Elberton Club where we have some major events, but it'll be their own. It'll be a little bit different, I'd say. About yeah. an hour, yeah. an hour north of there, close to. South Carolina and Tennessee lines. So convenient yeah, for a, those guys. You've talked with those guys more than I have, but just in, in talking, you know, in general or whatever, a couple of phone calls, you know, I've talked to a few of them from down there and they, they're, they're going to do a good job. Absolutely. Good place to have it. And zone seven and the final one is down in Queen City, Texas. Uh, they're going to be at the Cass County Coon Hunters uh, Clubhouse there, hosted by those guys, the Howards and those in East, East Texas, pretty close to Arkansas and Louisiana. That's a place that's hosted a few zones as well. They have. You know, the last time that we've had them there has been since I've been here. It was the year we had the uh, finals in Shreveport, Louisiana. I want to say that was 2012, 13 maybe. I don't yep. know exactly. 2012. 2012. Okay, yep. yeah. Uh, they held the the zone there that year, and they had over 200 dogs that hunted out of the Queen City Club that year. So, yep. so yeah, they can handle a bunch of dogs. And obviously the, the club is, they don't have the numbers they did back then maybe, you know, and probably don't have the membership. But uh, that's, yeah, that's a good place as well. I would actually expect them to have a pretty decent entry there with the finals being in West Tennessee, down yeah. there close to them. Yeah, yeah. If you're trying to contact UKC, don't wait on hold. Use the online chat feature on ukcdogs.com. Yeah, so now that we've talked a little bit about uh, the locations and the dates, we'll talk a little bit about how to get entered into the World Championship. Uh, for those of you that have earned uh, a cast win, a plus point cast win or a category win at an RQE so far this year, uh, you should have gotten a qualifying receipt from the host club. If you didn't, we are in the process of mailing them out. We're just going to mail them out to everybody along with also your uh, certificate of achievement and uh, for the, for the uh, night hunt plus point cast winners, your gift certificate. Uh, and and a, a gift certificate is something that we've actually worked on this year to improve them, uh, make them where you can use them on more things and uh, and more accessible for for what we have. Uh, 
since we're kind of shifting towards online entry, right? Um, so uh, for first place overall at, at the RQEs, they're going to be getting fifty dollars gift certificates. Yeah, and the reason we did that fifty—that's one that up from what it from what it was. Used we used to, to give a, provide them a plaque. Yep. And it got to be quite. It's quite an ordeal to make everything happen, shipping all the plaques out to the clubs. And honestly, I'm kind of glad we did it in 2020 and, and now 2021, the way the mail is. I it's, can't... We've it, had to eat a lot of costs resending plaques. Resending and all this and that. So I think, you know, uh, that's why one reason we upped that first place up to a $50 gift certificate. And that's a nice little deal. And the rest of them are getting, you know... What, 30, uh, 30? Every other plus one gas winner gets a $30 gift certificate. There you yeah. go. And it actually made them way better in my opinion uh, used to be that you could use them to the end of the year now you get a full you get a full year from when you qualified to use these uh gift certificates and you can use them like you could before you can use them uh anytime you, you enter hunts or anything like that but you can use them for your online entries well that'd be ukc only hunts, right not yeah right not, not just any hunt uh but uh, hunts that we administer like autumn oaks winter classic the world championship youth nationals Hunts like that, yeah. Not TLC, at the not at the Bellevue Coon yeah. Club or what have you. Yeah, and you can actually each uh, each of your gift certificates is going to have this uh, uh, original code code here that you're going to uh, put in at the time of checkout, and you can actually use it on like uh, online singles or litter registrations or Coonhound Bloodline subscriptions or different things like and that. And that's new. That's new this yes. year. Before they had to turn those gift certificates into us, whether it be at Autumn Oaks, you know, or or mail them in with their. A lot of them just mail it in with their World Championship entry. But this year they can enter online and then use that uh, and put that code in online, use it for their entry uh, or anything online, UKC, autumn, not anything. But Everything but performance or uh, a mer like uh, UKC apparel. merchandise yeah. apparel, yeah. yeah. So litter registration, online litters, or they can send it in with their uh, papers or anything yeah. like that, you know, or do it online like that. So yeah, redeem them. That's absolutely right, and it took a little bit of programming, and then admittedly, that's why there's a little bit, a little bit of delay getting them to you. But now they're out and hitting the mail, and you'll have them to get entered up. And we still got plenty of time here before the deadline to enter, uh, which is going to be September Saturday, September third, the uh, Saturday before uh, Labor Day, as yeah, usual. Yeah, and that's that's kind of uh, done on purpose at Autumn Oaks, so people can turn their bench show or their bench show or night hunt world championship entry into us at Autumn Oaks. On Saturday is the deadline. Now, every it seems every year Sunday morning, will, some will have somebody slip up and say, "Hey, take this, you know, take this." And uh, deadline is Saturday. We cannot take them Sunday morning. So make sure you turn them in at least by Saturday. Uh, they're at uh, to UKC at Autumn Oaks. That's right. So there's four different uh, ways to enter into the World Championship. Like you mentioned, you can turn it at Autumn Oaks uh, before Saturday the third, um, or on Saturday the third, no later. Um, also right now and where we're kind of steering people with, uh, the mailing issues that are going on right now is to enter online, ukcdogs.com slash coonhound dash world dash championship. Uh, obviously you can navigate to our, to our website and go to the, uh, coonhound events and programs and get to the coonhound world there. And the, the tab there is pretty easy. Um, yeah. and that's actually been open since January. We have quite a few dogs already entered online, but you can enter online right now as you're listening to this, enter online now. Don't forget um, and you, like you said, you can still mail it yeah. in if you want to, but I would really caution folks and I would encourage them if you do mail it, take it down to your post office, get a tracking number That's put right. on it so you know where it is. That's just to, to benefit you because if we don't have it before deadline, if we don't get it, uh, you know, based on the postmark, if we don't have it before the world hunt, there is not anything that we can do. That's right. So I, it really, it, it'll be worth it for you to take it to the post office, get a tracking number on it and 
And if you do mail it, mail it in plenty enough time. And that's right. And, and follow the instructions there on the qualifying receipt to put on the outside of the envelope for the world championship. That way it gets sorted and comes to us in the correct department. It doesn't get uh, mixed up in other departments' mails. That's a really good point because we do get that quite a bit if it gets put in with other registration work. When we say registration work, we're talking about like dog papers right. and things like that to send in their puppy papers along with their world champion thing. That just That's not a good way to do it. They're better served to have it separate because the world championship item comes to our department in hunting ops. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And if you're having any issues at all, call, give us a call in the office. We'll be glad to enter you online. Uh, same way you would do it that we can, we can surely do that. We do it a bunch every year and it, I enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, like we said, uh, time, time's kind of running out on getting qualified. So if you're going to get qualified, you have to the end of August, there's a few RQEs left, so get your dogs out there and get competing. Hey, one thing I'd just like to mention really quickly having to do with the World Championship. We do pay $25,000 for the World Night Hunt, uh, $10,000 to the winner. Second gets $3,500, $25,000 for third. Fourth is $1,500. Fourth, fifth, uh, actually through, uh, uh, what do we have here? Through seventh, $1,500. Eighth, ninth, and tenth get $1,000 right. of that. So there's a little bit of money there to win. And absolutely. a lot of other good prizes, too. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Especially with some of our partners and sponsors coming on. Absolutely, now. yeah. So get your dogs qualified before uh, while you still can, and and we'll hope to see you in Dyersburg. The World Championship still, it's still the one that gives me butterflies of our events going there to the World Finals in Dyersburg. It's going to be a great time. It is. It is. They have a nice little facility there That's too, right. so yeah. folks are going to enjoy it. Absolutely. Yeah. So now I guess we're to the part of the podcast where we're going to give a talk a little bit about rules. Okay. Uh, I think sure. we foreshadowed this one a little bit in our last Coonhound episode that we were going to talk about this rule. Uh, that is uh, often misapplied or misunderstood, I believe, and that's tree and but not declare treed, and also uh, how to score dogs coming in before or after a judge arrives. One that we get a bunch of questions on, and I think there's a bunch of misapplications out there. So I think this is a good uh, good venue for us to get it set up, set straight. Uh, so first, we're going to talk about what do you do if you're in a cast, you you make it to a dog's tree that's declare treed, you're handled the dog, and a dog comes in after the judge has arrived. Okay, there's one rule that applies to dogs that come in after the judge arrives. One and one rule only. That yeah. one rule tells you what to do, and that is rule 5B. And it's one that I have <laughs> hit home. I try to hit it home to uh, uh, whenever I can at youth nationals when I'm talking to kids or anything yeah. like that. 5B, 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 5B. <laughs> He's actually got it tattooed on his shoulder. <laughs> Rule 5B. I'm going to. <laughs> 5B applies to any dog that comes in after the judge arrives. And it reads, no dog to receive minus points for coming into tree after judge arrives unless a coon is seen and the dog's tree and are awarded plus points. Okay, that falls, 5B falls under circle and deleted points. In this case, 5AB are circle points. So that 5A is circle points, and read that again, unless. Unless a coon is seen. It's circled, unless a coon is seen. So that tells you what to do with their strike points. It goes on to say that then in that case, if a coon is seen for this dog, this dog in question that came in after the judge arrives, his strike points are going to get minus. Otherwise, they're just simply going to get circled like every other dog if it's, or even if the tree is minus, yeah. they're going to get circle points. If the, it doesn't matter. Now that we're talking about a dog that came in after, after the judge do arrives. not get it confused with a dog that's there when you got there. We're yeah. talking about a dog that comes in after the judge has arrived. That's right. So if a tree is minus, 
if it's circled or even if off game is seen. Dog's going to get circled. Yep. If a coon is, raccoon is seen, then, only then, are you going to minus that dog's strike points. Rule 5B, highlighted in your rule book now. And I remember when I was, when I first started hunting and learning the rules, it, that was one of, the, I felt like one of the last things that I had a little bit of trouble with. And it's understandable. It is. Uh, how do you score, how do you score the dog that is there when you get there versus the dog that comes in after? And I finally figured out that it's 5B. If I can remember for dogs that come in after the judge arrives, if I can remember 5B, 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 I can help, that helped me with, with uh, how to score it otherwise. That's right. And it's one I had trouble with too because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me in my mind. That, that, but I know it's kind of an older set type rule, right? Mm-hmm. That has to do with when you're in there beating and banging and squalling and pulling dogs into the tree after the fact. Right? It is. You know, the original intent was to not... Yeah, exactly that. You know, you you used to have the squalling rule, right. you know, uh, squalling, and they, they felt that, you know, that entices dogs to come in, and they didn't want to penalize dogs That's for right. that. You know, when you're there making all the racket and, and this and that, and the only time you would is if there was, in fact, a coon there is the only time they would get penalized. Yep. So that's how 5B works. Yep. Now, I assume you're going to talk about a dog that's there before? Before the judge before rides, which we consider treeing, but not declared treat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the first thing we're going to do is just define what that means, treeing, but not declared treat. And and in my notes here, I have the dogs at the tree, showing treat to the satisfaction of the judge, but is not declared treat. Um, obviously, uh, uh, what is a dog? Uh, so so what do you do for a dog that's at the tree, but not treeing? Is that something that you can speak on a little bit? Whether do you, do you, if the dog's just milling around and you're judging a cast there, you get in there and the dog's, uh, do, you, do you instruct the handler to handle the dog or? Yeah, it all depends what the dog is right. doing. You got and the dog will tell you what it's doing. Right. And as a judge, you kind of look at that, and and I think it's I use that a lot. You know, hey, the dog. If you know dogs, yep, have the experience. The dog will tell you what it's doing. Yeah. Is it is it showing you tree? You know, it. Uh, our rules don't require a dog to be standing on the tree or looking up the tree or whatever. It has to be showing tree to the satisfaction of the dog right. of the judge. So, but you're talking about a dog that is. Not barking at all, right? And hasn't barked, right? Okay, I think there's a there's a there's a difference. If there's a dog there that you haven't even heard or anything, you basically can't. Uh, uh, it's not considered treeing. You can make that argument anyway. Yeah. It's not treeing, so it's, yeah. it wasn't treeing, you know, at all. But now, it, it, you know, if you, we heard this dog treeing before we got there, just because it's not barking when we got there, that's not going to fly for me. So it's still you, considered treeing. Using your common sense as a judge and your experience as a houndsman comes into play in this it role. Does. It, like really it, does. it really does. It often does. It really does. It really does. But how to score this dog? Let's say the dog is, in fact, treeing. The yep. difference is um, between uh, versus a dog that, that we talked about that comes in after you've arrived. We're That's not right. talking about the dog that was there when we got there, but not declared tree. Yep. So we call this guy a, a dog treeing, but, but not, not declared tree. Right. Uh, we, the biggest mistake handlers make or judges make is they want to score this dog right away before they shine the tree or anything. Yep. Wrong thing. That's where you get hobbled up. You don't know how to score this dog until you've scored the tree. So if the tree is, there's a couple different rules that may apply. If it's circled, this dog is in question is going to get circled with the rest of them. Uh, I'll let you take it from here. You probably got the rule pulled up. You don't have it pulled up. For a circled? Well, no, that's just going to be rule right. rule five. Right. Okay. And if if there's a raccoon in the tree, right. this dog is going to get its strike points minus. That's right. And if it's slick or off game, if it's slick, the dog is going to get uh, 25 tree points assigned. 
and then minus both strike at 25 yeah. and uh, uh, tree tree and the tree. Sign. It's yeah. strike and tree. Yeah. Now there's one other situation if a dog is shut out in this case or in any case when a dog is shut out. Shut out means uh, a dog has been struck and declared treed and any other dog that trees with this dog on the same tree, that dog that came in is considered shut out. It can't get any strike points. In other words, its strike points are shut out. So uh, if you don't have, if you are shut out, that dog means that dog has no points yeah. to strike points to circle minus or score. Yeah. Other so, than delete. So I do have some rules here to to point out uh, for each of those uh, scenarios. Like you said, you get in there. Uh, there's a dog tree, but not declared tree. You're going to handle the dog. Um, and then you're going to you're gonna uh, shine the tree and figure out how you're going to score it. So let's say the tree's plus. We're going to refer to rule 4D, which is minus strike points. And it reads, if dog declared treed, after three minutes has elapsed, no additional dog can be declared treed at that particular tree. Dogs treeing but not declared treed when judge arrives receives minus strike points if coon is seen. Black and white, pretty yep. straightforward there. Yep. Just have to read the, the entire rule to get your explanation there for exactly. that. Uh, second scenario, you get in there, you end up minus in the tree. The dog's uh, the tree's uh, considered minus. You're going to refer to rule 4H. You're going to minus the strike points. You're going to assign 25 tree points to minus as well. Uh, that rule reads, dogs treeing but not declared treed when judge arrives will be assigned and minus 25 tree points on off game or slick trees. Dogs shut out on strike on slick tree or off game will receive minus tree points only. Refer to Rule 6F for Champion Division cast and off game, which obviously tells us that if there's off game in the tree and a Champion Division cast, the dog's going to be scratched as well. Um, and like you said, obviously, uh, per the circle rules in the rule book, if the tree's circled, the strike points are going to be circled. Right. Um, but another one that you alluded to there is a dog being shut out on strike. And if uh, if the dogs are shut out on strike, that's when you would uh, uh, refer to Rule 5I uh, uh, in accordance with deleted points in the rule book. And uh, and that's whenever. Let's see what it says here. Uh, that's that's just whenever you uh, that takes precedence over the tree and not clear trade. You would uh, you'd be shut out on strike, and you would just delete the strike points. Yeah. Uh, and, and one last thing for us to probably talk about is is rule five I and how it goes in ties into this rule a little bit four I and I'll read that for you. Uh, any dogs declared treat after three minutes expires and the tree is closed, that call will be accepted as a split tree. Uh, if dog is on close tree when judge arrives, strike and tree points are scored as dog left separate split tree and is now considered treeing but not declared treed on this particular tree. So if if the tree in there closed and your tree and your if the tree in there is closed and your dog is treeing, uh, sometimes you just have to uh, prepare yourself to eat a little bit of minus rather than treeing your dog on a closed tree and accruing even more minus for yourself. Right. True. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. I think we've about covered it. I think so. I think so. I, I know that we just have just that difference of a dog yeah. being uh, coming in after you've arrived versus being there treeing when you arrive. Right difference. And I think there's some some really good articles in our advisor columns that may be handy for you to either pull up on your phone and screenshot to reference if you're in a cast and you need some circumstances that you need a correct ruling on, or just make some notes in your rule book to refer to if you need to and get this call right. Absolutely, and it's also a good thing to flip the card over, Yeah, read the rules, Absolutely, flip the card over. It's all there. That's absolutely right. Well, I think that pretty much caps us out on this uh, this week's episode. Uh, we had a couple more rule interpretations we're going to get to in a few weeks, including one of the most talked about rules out there and controversial rules, which is the babbling rule. So that'll probably be coming up on one of our next episodes as well as a pretty in-depth rundown on autumn oaks, which I'm looking forward to. That's coming up soon. 
So you guys stay tuned and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and to like and follow UKC Hunting Ops on Facebook and Instagram.